0: Good morning, Fellowship Greenville. It's great to see a packed house here in Auditorium 1 and across the way in Auditorium 2. Welcome. And if you're joining us online, that's great, too. And we've got to begin with a traditional Easter greeting. He He is risen. He is risen. Hey, We're very excited that you've chosen to worship with us today. On this Easter weekend. And uh, if this is your first time to Fellowship Greenville, uh, there are two things that we want you to know about us from the get go. First of all, we want you to know that we believe that the gospel changes everything. Do you know that word gospel? Basically, the gospel is the message, the good news about Jesus found in the Jewish and the Christian scriptures, which is that Almighty God himself came personally into this world in the person of Jesus, and Jesus lived the life we could never live, and he died the death that we rightfully deserve. But the good news is that Jesus didn't stay dead. Now, scripture, based on eyewitness testimony, tells us that Jesus rose from the dead, He rose from the dead and ascended back into heaven. And now he rules over everything from galaxies to governments. And one day, on the last day, he will return to this world and he will establish his kingdom on this earth and he will set right all that's wrong in this broken world. And everybody who puts their faith in him, their hope in him will live with him in in the eternity uh, of God, the kingdom of God. Uh, for forever and ever, and that's the gospel as it is set in the big story of the Bible. Jesus died for our sins. He rose from the dead to give us new life, eternal life with God. It's a life that starts now, goes on forever, and that's exactly what we're celebrating uh, this weekend, isn't it? We So yeah, we believe the gospel changes everything, but it's not just something We celebrate once a year on a weekend like this. Now, the gospel impacts our daily lives. The gospel informs how we speak and act and how we make decisions. The gospel corrects us and challenges us. The gospel carries us through the pains and the sufferings of this life. And even though we don't always live in line with the gospel, still, because of God's grace, we experience his ongoing forgiveness, and we experience the ongoing reality of our personal relationship with God. The gospel changes everything. That's the first thing that we want you to know about us. Now, the second thing is, if you attend here on a regular basis, what you'll find is that most Sunday mornings, you'll find that we're studying our way, teaching our way through whole books of the Bible, And we just finished a series in the book of Judges. And next week we'll start uh, a four-part series in the book of Ruth. And we like to dig deep into Scripture. First, to understand what it meant to the people to whom it was written and the first people who read it or heard it read. And then what we wanna do is we wanna bring what we learned from that forward and apply it to our lives today. And you'll get kind of a flavor Uh, that kind of approach to understanding Scripture in a few moments. So welcome. So glad you're here. I want to begin this morning. Actually, I'm going to begin and end uh, my message this morning with a question. So here's the beginning question. I'm wondering, uh, what are you hoping for these days? What are you hoping for these days? Could be any number of things, right? I mean, I'll tell you some of the things I'm hoping for. I'm hoping for Good health, I'm hoping for the good health and safe delivery of two new grandbabies that are coming. One in June, the other in July, which by the way, that'll bring me up to eight by the end of July. And that'll be uh, five girls and three boys. That's really exciting. I'm hoping that FSU will win the national championship next fall. That's probably wishful thinking probably more like wishful thinking. I'm hoping that gas prices go back down and we can reverse this inflation that's eating away at our paychecks. Who's with me on that? Yeah, amen. Uh, I'm hoping for financial stability. I'm hoping we can put an end to the racial division that exists in this country. We can be a unified people. And I'm hoping for the soon end of this war that's raged against Ukraine here now for uh, the last month or two. Th- those are just a, th- a few things I'm hoping for. What about you? Maybe you're, maybe you're hoping to finish the school year with passing grades or better, maybe all A's. Or maybe you're hoping for a job after graduation. Uh, maybe you're hoping for a job now. Or you're hoping for a new job. Maybe you're hoping he'll pop the question. Maybe you're hoping that... Uh, Even though she broke up with you or even though she walked out on you, you're hoping she'll come back. Or maybe you're hoping for a a successful career path. Maybe you're hoping for a miracle when it comes to your health. The list of things we hope for goes on and on and on, doesn't it? To hope is part of what it means to be human God created us with needs and desires and wants and hopes and we're constantly aware of the past and the present and the future. And one of the big things that moves us from the past and the present into the future is what we hope for. In fact, you could say it like this, you could say hope means we are shaped by our understanding of the future. Hope means we are shaped by our understanding of the future. Uh, What you believe about the future, what you hope for in the future, completely shapes how you are living in the present. Now, 20 years or so ago, a man named uh, Andrew Delbanco, who was a professor at Columbia University at the time, he wrote a book entitled The Real American Dream, A Meditation on Hope. And Delbanco says that at the heart of any cohesive culture, the thing that makes one culture different from another culture is the hope that is at the heart of it. He says hope, this is really profound and it's kinda deep. He says the hope hope is the way we overcome the lurking suspicion that all our getting and spending amounts to nothing more than fidgeting while we wait for death. That's good. In other words, hope depends on finding some end to be pursued that is bigger than your immediate desires. Finding something bigger, more stable, more secure than just moving from one desire to the next. We hope for the things that we want. We hope for things to get better. We hope we will get better. We hope for whatever we think will make us more successful, more accepted, more loved, more healthy. And it's not that hoping for any of those things that Is necessarily wrong, but Del Banco says we need something bigger than all that. He says human beings need to organize their lives into a story that gives us hope. What does that mean to organize our lives into a story that gives us hope? Well, a story has a beginning, a middle, and an end, and your life has a beginning. Uh, a middle and an end, and he's saying that we need to organize our lives around some story that's bigger than simply the things we desire in the present. He says, if we have nothing more to live for than our immediate desires, then ultimately, and I quote, we will tend to live our lives locked into a soul-starving present. He, 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 he That, that, he's to something here. I wonder if you've lived long enough to know the truth of what he's talking about. Have you lived long enough to know that you need something bigger, something more substantial than desiring and hoping for the next thing? We all need a bigger story than our little story bubbles that we tend to live in, and that story is God's story as it is revealed in the Scriptures. So, take your Bible, paper or digital, and find your way to the New Testament book of First Peter. Now, we studied our way through the books of, are the letters of Peter, First uh, and Second Peter, back in 2019, and so we're in gonna, We're going to be in First Peter chapter one. I'm going to begin reading in verse three. And I'll go ahead and put it up on the screen. Verse 3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he's caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Now, this is an amazing passage of Scripture. It's packed with all kinds of profound truth, and for weeks now, my mind has been captured by uh, what I found in, in, in this passage here. This is a passage written by the Apostle Peter, one of Jesus' closest followers, an eyewitness to Jesus' uh, ministry, his death, his resurrection, and his ascension back into heaven. And just to remind you, this is the same Peter who denied Jesus three times before Jesus was crucified. This is the same Peter who went back to fishing after Jesus died. He went back to fishing because because what he hoped Jesus was going to do, which was to restore Israel to its former national glory, that didn't happen. Jesus died, so Peter thought, game over, and he went back to his fishing business. All that to say, Peter knew full well what it felt like to put his hope in something, only to be deeply disappointed, deeply disillusioned, with everything he had come to believe and hope for in Jesus. But Easter changed all of that for Peter. The good news of the gospel of God's grace is that the risen Jesus appeared personally to Peter. He forgave him, he restored him, and Peter became a leader in the early church in Jerusalem, and he preached the resurrection of Jesus from the dead to anyone and everybody that would listen. Now it's about 30 years after the resurrection, and Peter is writing to a group of Christians who are being persecuted uh, for their faith by their Roman and Jewish uh, neighbors. They were being treated as outcasts. They were being silenced and marginalized as outsiders in their own society. And you know, one of the biggest hope killers And again, Peter knows this all too well. But one of the biggest hope killers is when you go through hard times and you're hoping that things will change for the better, but nothing changes. You know that, right? That's what's happening here to Peter's friends. The persecution is getting worse and worse, and they're hoping it'll go away. They're hoping things will get better, but it's Nothing is changing. Nothing is getting better. It's just getting worse. So these early Christ followers need to be reminded of where they should anchor their hope, which is a reminder for us as well, because it hits right where we're living today. One more time. Praise, verse three, praise To God, the Father of our Lord, Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Now stop right here. Again, I'm telling you, so much packed here and we got to start unpacking. And basically what I'm going to do is I'm kind of walk through this passage like line by line, phrase by phrase, kind of sometimes word by word. It's a little different than what we normally do, but I wanna do this because there is a truth packed into here that I have never seen in my life, and I bet you've never seen it either, and I want you to see what I see. And the best way to do it is just go line by line. All right, so here we go. Verse three, God in his great mercy, his great mercy, not because of who we are, not because of all the good things we've done or tried to do, no, God, because he is a merciful God, a compassionate God, a God who knows all our sins and failures and shortcomings, this merciful God who does not hold our worst moments against us. God, because of his great mercy, has caused us. God has caused us. Now, Peter is about to tell us about something God has done for us that we could never, ever do for ourselves, because of his great mercy, God has caused us to be born again. Born again. I know you're, so, you're like, Charlie, come on. You're not one of those born again type Christians, are you? I mean, uh, yeah, absolutely I am. Absolutely I am. And not only me, but anyone who claims to be a Christian... Everyone who puts their faith in Jesus as their only hope for forgiveness and life. If you are a Christian, then you are a born-again Christian. There is no other kind of Christian. Despite all the baggage, the modern baggage that comes with that phrase, born-again, it has nothing to do with politics. It has nothing to do with ecstatic passion, not even morality, There's no other kind of Christian than a born-again Christian. And Jesus says that, and the apostle John says that, and Peter says that. Look at it. Because of his great mercy, God has caused us, all of us, to be born again. So the question is, well, what does that actually mean? Well, it means when you put your faith in Christ for salvation, it means you are reborn spiritually, God puts his very own spirit inside you and you become a brand new person in the deepest part of who you are. And the writers of the New Testament and Jesus himself are saying, there's no way to explain what God does to a person when they put their faith in Christ except to say they die and they're reborn. And in talking about this same idea, the apostle Paul says you become a new creation in Christ. That's his word for it. Look at it in 2 Corinthians 5:17. Therefore if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away; behold, the new has come. Paul is saying the same thing. He's just using different words, but he agrees a born a, a born again Christian is the only kind of Christian because get this When you put your faith in Christ, God causes your old life and all the old garbage to pass away. There's no more guilt. There's no more shame. No more trying harder to do better. No more anxiety about measuring up. No more angst about when you stand before God on the final day, whether God will love you and accept you or not. That's all gone. You're no longer a prisoner of your past. You're no longer defined by what you've done or what was done to you. You are born again, meaning again, God puts his very own spirit, his very own life into you and he remakes you brand new and you have a fresh start. You have a new beginning because you have a new identity in Christ. And don't just take my word for it. I mean, take the word of these two early Christian leaders, Peter and Paul. Peter, who denied Jesus three times as Jesus was headed to the cross to die for him. And Paul, who had overseen the execution of hundreds of Christians before becoming a Christ follower himself. Now, it's hard to get past your past, especially past like these two men had. But you see, when you put your faith and hope in Jesus, when you believe the gospel, the gospel changes everything. The gospel changes everything. That's what it means to be born again. Let's keep going. Because of his great mercy, God's caused us, everyone who's put their faith and trust in Jesus, has caused us to be born again, here it is, to a living hope. To a living, that's the phrase that I have not been able to get out of my mind for two two weeks or more. We have a living hope. Everyone who puts their faith in Christ and God makes new has a living hope. So what is this living hope? What is Peter telling us about this living hope? Well, here's the big idea of the message and what Peter's saying and what I'm saying. A living hope carries you through the present because it's anchored in the future that God has planned for you. A living hope... Carries you, it sustains you in the present because it is anchored in the future God has planned for you. Now, that actually breaks into two parts, so let's take each part at a time. First of all, a living hope carries you through the present. Carries you, a living hope is a present hope, it is an active hope, it is a daily hope, it is a right now kind of hope. And it is a hope that carries you through times of trouble and pain and hurt and suffering. Where does it say that? Skip down to verse six. In this you greatly rejoice. In what? In this living hope you greatly rejoice, though now, for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. Now remember, Peter's friends are going through incredible persecution. Some of them had lost their businesses and their sources of income. Some of them had their houses plundered. Some of them were arrested and put in prison. Some of them had family members and friends who were arrested and put in prison. Some were being killed because of their faith in Christ. And Peter is saying that his friends are rejoicing. No, he didn't say that. He said greatly rejoicing, present tense, even though now, right now, they are grieving, present tense. Now, the word for grieve here is the word, for, it would, better translated, great grief. They are greatly grieved. It's the same word used to describe Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane when Jesus said, my, my soul is sorrowful unto death. He, he says, I'm crushed with sorrow. That's great grief. Now, here's the amazing thing that Peter's saying. He says, you greatly rejoice, present tense, and at the same time, you're crying out in agony, present tense. He doesn't say you have been rejoicing, but now you're in sorrow. He doesn't say you have been in sorrow, but now you are rejoicing. No, he says you are filled with great grief. Uh, rejoicing and great grief at the same time. Now, does that just blow your mind? I mean, for most people, that makes no sense whatsoever. For most people, that's impossible. Most people are like, how can you rejoice when the things that give life hope are taken from you? I mean, how can you rejoice when your health, your family, your professional achievement, your fortune, your position in society is taken from you? Remember, those are the things that the, Peter's friends are experiencing. But how can you, how, how can you rejoice well, most people think it's impossible because they think you either feel joy or you either feel grief, but you can't feel joy and sorrow at the same time. And the reason they think that is is because for most people, their hope is a circumstantial hope. It, their hope is rooted in their present circumstances. Their ultimate hope is in better health and keep in, in uh, ongoing personal success or or uh, their their ultimate hope is in their families or romance or material wealth but here's the thing if your deepest hope is in the finite circumstances of your life then when life doesn't work out the way you hoped you're crushed but if you get what you hope for well then you're happy of course it's one or the other but it's never both One more time. If your hope is anchored to circumstances, then when you go through sorrow, it'll crush you. It'll decimate you. It can even destroy you. Let me put it this way. If your hope is in anything perishable, in anything you can lose, in anything that can be taken from you, it's not worth building your life upon because when you lose it or when it's taken from you, you'll be undone. But if your hope, your ultimate hope, is in something bigger than your circumstances, greater than your immediate desires, if you put your hope in a larger story, God's story, then when you go through setbacks and you go through sorrow and you go through suffering and when you experience uh, unexpected delays and unexpected disappointments, and unexpected deaths, yes, of course, of course, you're gonna experience deep sorrow and great grief. But at the same time, you'll have this undercurrent of joy holding you up. You'll have this foundation of joy that keeps you from blowing apart. Here it is. Being born again into a living hope changes the relationship between joy and sorrow in your life. Being born again into this living hope that Peter's talking about here changes the relationship between joy and sorrow in your life. I say it at every funeral. I say this at every funeral. God has made the heart of a Christian in such a way that it's possible to hold sorrow and joy in your heart at the same time and not blow apart. I wonder, how many of you, in here know the truth of what I'm talking about, raise your hand. If you know this truth, you've gone through a time of great grief and you know this truth, look, look around at the hands. Yeah, yeah, yeah. See, that, that's why the apostle Paul can say in another place, Paul says, we grieve, but not as those who have no hope. Again, same idea, just different words. Are you seeing this? This is a very present, right now, active, daily, living hope. It sustains you. It strengthens you. It makes your faith stronger. It makes it possible to go through the hardest times imaginable and not give up or cave in or be decimated or crushed. But it's off the map for most people. And because that's true, most people run from sorrow. They run from disappointment either into anger or indifference. Like if you've been hurt in a relationship if you're a guy and a woman has hurt you, really hurt you, or you're a woman and a man has really, really hurt you, it's not atypical for you to say, I just hate women, or I just hate men. I mean, what is that? That's you refusing to let yourself grieve. You're refusing to let yourself feel the hurt, the deep hurt. You're refusing to let yourself be sad so you get mad, you get angry. Or you become indifferent. Like, like you tell yourself, well, I don't care. I don't care. It's not all that anyway. You know, like I just don't care. It probably, probably never have worked out anyway. And you become indifferent and you become, you become cynical. Yeah, the way, the way that, that most people instinctively deal with sorrow is by hardening their heart through anger or indifference. And it can happen to Christians as well. Sometimes with a Christ follower who has really been hoping for something, and they've been praying and asking God to do, and it doesn't happen. Sometimes a Christ follower becomes angry with God or indifferent towards God, and sadly, I've seen too many Christians whose, what they were hoping for didn't happen, and they've just chucked their faith and walked away from the faith, and Peter knows that reality, and that's why he's writing this. He doesn't want this to happen to these people. But but he, and he's saying if you have this living hope, you get a joy that lets you feel the sorrow deeply. But instead of the sorrow crushing you and hardening you and making you an angry, bitter, cynical person, the sorrow makes you stronger, makes you wiser, makes you more resilient, makes you more compassionate. And Peter, get this—he's commending his friends for how they're going through terrible suffering, but at the same time, they're rejoicing and their faith is getting stronger and it's shining brighter. That's why he says in verse seven, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it's tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus." When gold is heated up and melted down, it burns off the impurities, and the gold becomes purer and and, and brighter, and Peter says, that's what's happening to you. He's saying, you have this living hope, and this living hope is making it possible for you to right now rejoice in the midst of your sorrow. And he's saying that holding joy and sorrow in your heart at the same time is causing your faith to grow stronger and shine brighter. Listen, there is absolutely no way to get through life unless you learn how to get through suffering. And you can't get through suffering without a living hope. So first of all, a living hope sustains you, carries you through the present, through the inevitable sorrows of life, and then second, a living hope is anchored to the future, the future that God has planned for you. A living hope is a future hope. Look at verse four. He says, you're born again to a living hope. Now he says in verse four, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, Kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Now today, most people, when they think about hope, they think of hope as wishful thinking. They're wishing for something to happen, like that Florida State would win the national championship, and they're hoping it will happen. Maybe it will, maybe it won't, probably not. It's that kind of thing. Hear me, this, th- that is not what the scriptures mean by hope. Scriptural hope is confident assurance. It's the guarantee of a future reality. It's a hope in what most definitely will happen. A hope in what most definitely will be ours because God has promised it to us. That's what an inheritance is. An inheritance is something, if something is promised to me in a will, then, then on some future day, that something will be mine. Like, uh, my dad was not a wealthy man, but he sold a house in North Carolina that he built when he was about 19 or 20, back in, in, in Mount Airy, North Carolina. I lived in that house for the first two years of my life, and then we moved to Florida, and my dad kept that house and rented it out For for uh, a a long long time, Uh, until until he was about 76, and and then he 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 came to me and he said, he said I'm going to sell this house, and when I sell it, I'm going to give you what I make on this house, and that is your inheritance. And I said, you don't you don't have. He wasn't a wealthy man, but he was, and he didn't have that much saved, and he wanted to give me the sixty thousand dollars on that house and I'm like like don't please don't do that just you worked hard all your life just take it he goes no this is your inheritance and when he made that promise in a sense i had a living hope i had the confident assurance that what he promised me as my future inheritance was already mine in the present and he was keeping it for me peter says if you put your faith in Christ for salvation, your future with God is secure. But what exactly is that future? What exactly is being kept in heaven for me? Oh, there's just so much more to unpack here. We've got to do some detective work. Now, the problem here is this is one very long run on sentence And it's packed with amazing truth, but because it's one very long run-on sentence, it's kind of hard to unpack the truth. So we gotta get a running start and come into it again, okay? So let's go back to verse three. We're born again to a living hope. What is that? Verse four, to an inheritance that can never perish. Okay, so a living hope is the imperishable inheritance that God has promised us. But what is that? Let's keep going. He says it's something kept in heaven for us. And this is important because that word kept means it's utterly safe, it is guaranteed, it is completely secure, meaning there is nothing anybody can do to keep you from getting it. There's nothing you can do to keep you from getting it. It's kept for you, safe and secure in heaven. You see, you see this. It's something kept in heaven for you, but we still don't know what it is. Keep going. He says, for a salvation ready to be revealed to you on the last day. All right, we're talking about the big story of the Bible here. We're talking about your story set in God's big story, past, present, and now we're in the future. And for everyone who puts their faith in Christ, the final chapter of of the story of our lives in this life, when we stand before God on the last day, in the last time, there will be a revelation of salvation. Okay, still, come on, what is it? I mean, it's right here. I I tell you, I didn't see it for many years, and the reason it's hard for me to see is, I guess, it's the same reason it's hard for you to see because of how we're already programmed to read stuff like this. Look down in verse seven. He says, these trials have come so that the testing of your faith, which is greater, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine, your faith may be proved genuine, and, look at this, and may result, here it is, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Now, when Jesus is revealed, that's the last day. When Jesus comes back, When he's revealed in all of his glory, what is gonna happen? So here we are. We've finally gotten to the end of time. We've gotten to the end of the stories of our lives. We finally got to this thing that has been kept in heaven for us. What is it? For all those who believe, here's what's been kept in heaven for you. Praise and glory and honor when Jesus is revealed. I, I thought, I, for years, I've always thought that meant that on the last day, when Jesus is revealed in all his glory, I thought that means that we will give him praise and glory and honor, which I am absolutely 100% totally sure that we will do. We will most definitely, on that last day when we stand before God, uh, we will most definitely be cheering and shouting and singing his praise, probably go on a couple of millennium, but remember, there's no time in heaven. So I mean, it's gonna go on and on, lots of scripture, talk about that, but not this one. This says your faith will result. That's an odd way of putting it, isn't it? Why not just say your faith will move you to give him praise and honor and glory? It doesn't say that because it doesn't mean that. You ready for this? This is not talking about the praise and glory and honor of Jesus. It's talking about praise and glory and honor from Jesus. Those who believe have something kept. Their faith will result in something on that last day. And that is we are going to receive praise and glory and honor from Jesus on that last day. I, I know, I know, I know, no, no. that sounds crazy. That's exactly what it says. When you stand before God on the last day, if you put your faith in Jesus as your living hope for salvation, God will not say to you, okay, let's see if you measure up. God will not say to you, let's put all your good deeds in the scales and see if your good outweighs your bad. God will not say, oh, I am so sorry. You came this close. Like you almost made it. And if you would have helped that old lady across the street that day, man, the meter in heaven would have gone like that, and you would have made it, but you didn't make it. I'm so sorry. You came up short. No, 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 no. If you put your faith in Jesus, God will give you the same praise and honor and glory that he gives to Jesus. It just blows your mind. Now, let me just, I gotta prove it to you. Let me just show you. 2 Corinthians 5, 21, on the screen. God made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. What that means is on Good Friday, and this is what makes Good Friday good, But on the cross, Jesus took our sin into himself. God put on him, on Jesus, everything that the human race deserves. The judgment for sins, the death penalty for our sins. All our guilt and shame fell on him. He took on himself what we deserve. And here's the great good news of the gospel. If you believe in Jesus, and if you believe that he took on himself everything you rightfully deserve, then you get from God all that he rightfully deserves. He took your record of sin, and God gives you the righteous record of Christ. That's the great exchange, your sin for his righteousness. And so it's not that your good works are getting praise and honor and glory. It's because you put your faith in the one who is righteous. And God sees you as he sees his son. The same way, that's what it's saying. And the minute you put your faith in Jesus, something is kept in heaven for you. And on the last day, you're gonna get it. And on that day, God is gonna give you everything that Jesus deserves. He's gonna give you his delight. He's gonna give you his praise He's gonna let you share in his glory and his honor and you're gonna be enveloped in love and affirmation and applause and acclaim from God. You will not hear one word of condemnation. The only thing you will hear is God's commendation. Hear me, this isn't wishful thinking. This is not, well, maybe if I live a good enough life, maybe it might happen. No, because of your faith in what Jesus has done for you, God's commendation is kept in heaven for you. His well done, his I can see my son in you, it's kept in heaven. His not guilty verdict is kept in heaven for you. And it's secure, well how is it secure? What makes it secure? everything we're celebrating this weekend. Everything we're celebrating this weekend. The resurrection of Jesus makes it secure. We have a living hope because we have a living Lord. We, you, have a living hope because you have a living Lord. Look at it one more time. God in his great mercy has caused us to be born again into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. No resurrection, no living hope. See that. Good Friday, the cross. Easter, Resurrection Sunday. The gospel is what secures God's commendation for you on the last day. Again, it's not about what you do or you don't do. God causes you to be born again into a living hope because of what Jesus has done for you through his death and resurrection. That's the good news. That's the good news. And when you put your faith in Christ, you can know the reality of this good news deep in your soul. When you put your faith in Jesus, you can face anything that this life throws at you. You can be deeply grieved and crushed, but at the same time, underneath it all, there is a a joy, a calm, a peace, a solidness that keeps you together. You can know that. And you can live now knowing that there is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Are you seeing that? This is what it means to be born again. This is what it means to have a living hope. This is what it means to live right now with a living hope that carries you through the present because it's anchored in the future that God has kept in heaven for you. Biggest question now is how do you receive it? Well, I've mentioned it a dozen times. It's, the whole passage is peppered with it. Verse five, Peter talks about faith. Verse seven, he talks about faith. Look at verse eight. And though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you don't, know, and though you don't see him now, here it is. You believe in him. And you greatly rejoice with joy. I like the old King James. Joy unspeakable and full of glory, obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. Isn't that good? How do you receive it? You believe the gospel. You believe the gospel. Now, here's what you need to understand. The gospel is not religion. Religion is the wishful thinking that says, if I try hard enough, maybe, maybe God will bless me if I don't miss it just by that much. Religion is in order to. I am going to do my best to be good and do good in order to hopefully earn God's favor and acceptance. The gospel is because of. Because of what Jesus Christ has done for me in his death and resurrection, something is kept in heaven for me. And I'm absolutely guaranteed of getting it. There's no condemnation for me now or ever. Because of Jesus, I'm completely loved and accepted by God right now. Because of Jesus, I will be completely accepted and loved by God and welcome to his kingdom on the last day. And because of Jesus, he sees me like he sees Jesus, holy, beautiful, clean, pure in his sight. That's our living hope. That is our living hope. So I begin with the question, what are you hoping for these days? I'll close with this question. Would you like to have this living hope? Would you like to have this? Would you like to leave this place knowing that your future in heaven is secure? Would would you like to know that when you stand before God on the last day, that you'll see a smile on his face and you'll hear him say, you know, I see the reflection of my son in you. Welcome to the kingdom I have prepared for you from before the foundation of the world. Come on in, everybody be clapping, waving banners. And then we'll turn around and we'll be praising Jesus. I I don't know where you are today, but I I know in a crowd like this, either here or out there in internet land, uh, I know some of you uh, come from some kind of religious background, some of you probably don't. I know that some of you consider yourself to be spiritual and some of you consider yourself to be skeptical. I know some of you have been burned by your church or by some Christian in your past and I cannot tell you how sorry I am that you had such a bad experience with what God meant for your good. I also believe that some of you, no matter what your past, might be, no matter what your present might be, some of you may be feeling that God is drawing you to himself. You might be thinking, I have never in my life heard anything like this. Or maybe, maybe you're thinking, for the first time in my life, I get it. I understand it. I need it. I believe it. And if that's you, if you feel that God is drawing you to himself, I'm going to invite you to respond to God's call on your life in a tangible way that you can remember going forward from today. In just a moment, I'm going to invite us all to bow our heads and I'm gonna lead us in a short prayer. It's nothing fancy, it's not these particular words, but it's just a simple prayer that allows you to tell God that you are putting your faith in Jesus. It's a, a prayer that allows you to tell God how much you need this new birth, this new life that Jesus has made possible through his death and resurrection. This is a prayer where you can tell God that you need and want this living hope that can carry you through this life into the next. I'm inviting you to put your faith and all your hope in Jesus to forgive your sin, to make you new, and to give you now the salvation that God is keeping in heaven for you until the last day. So would you Bow your head and close your eyes. And if you want to put your faith in Jesus, just tell that. Tell God that by by piggybacking on this prayer that I'm going to pray. And I'll go line by line to make it simple. Pray with me Heavenly Father, thank you for sending Jesus to die on the cross for my sins. Thank you for raising him from the dead so I can have this living hope that will take me through this life into the next. Heavenly Father, right now, I want you to know I'm trusting Jesus to forgive my sins. I'm trusting him to give me a brand new life. And I'm trusting you, Heavenly Father, to keep my salvation secure until I stand before you on the last day. I thank you that you hear me when I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, I want everybody to keep your head bowed, your eyes closed. And if you prayed that prayer, or you've never prayed any kind of prayer like that before, but if you prayed this prayer for, uh, for the first time today, there's nobody looking around, what I'm gonna ask you to do is I'm gonna ask you to look up, make, raise your hand and make eye contact with me. This is a way that today can become tangible. If this is your first step towards Jesus, just doing this little simple thing. If you're in auditorium too, Johnny's over there just Raise your hand, look up, and make eye contact with Johnny. Yes, I see your hand. Welcome to God's family. So good. Just raise your hand. Way back in the back. Yep, I see that. Welcome to God's family. Yes, right here. Welcome to God's family. I trusted Jesus today, right over here in the middle. Yep, I see that hand. Right back in the back. Yes, I see you. Welcome. Welcome to God's family right here. Yes. Welcome to God's family. Who else am I missing anybody? Right right here, yep. Hi. Welcome to God's family. Day of new birth, new life. Right right over here. Yep. Welcome to God's family. Father, thank you for all these who were born again, born anew here today. Now, And I I pray that just as you have caused new life and new hope to spring up in them, I pray that you would cause them by your word and spirit to grow every day, to become more and more like Jesus. And in so doing, live with this living hope that we've talked about today and i ask this in jesus name amen you can look up let's rejoice (laughs) we're rejoicing the bible says that uh, when when uh, when someone comes to christ that all the angels in heaven rejoice so good, so good. Now, I'm going to ask you to do one more thing. If you um, prayed to receive Christ this morning, in the, uh, on the chairs in front of you, you'll see a QR code. And I'm going to ask if you would, if you scan that code, if you receive Christ today, scan that code. It'll take you to this landing page. And the first step, the button, the second button there said first step That'll take you to this page. And I'm gonna ask you to fill that out and let us know that you made a first-time decision uh, to trust Christ. And and we'll get in touch with you because we wanna give you some information about what the next steps would be in uh, learning how to live every day with this living hope that we talked about today. Good day.